Welcome to Education Beat. I'm Ann Vasquez, CEO of EdSource. California schools and communities from Pajaro and Monterey County to Planada and Merced County were flooded earlier this year by torrential rains that caused major damage. The flooding isn't over yet. A record snowpack will eventually melt and likely send rivers surging over the banks. According to an EdSource analysis of federal data, more than a fifth of the state's K-12 schools are at high or moderate risk of flooding. Our creeks are in serious need of repair, of dredging, clearing out. Driving through the community, you're, you're literally seeing trees that have been growing in the middle of those creeks. And so there was no flow. There was no flow and it just found its weakest point. What can school districts and state government do to prepare and to help reduce the risk of flooding? Here is this week's Education Beat with host Zadie Stabley. Students and teachers at Planada Elementary School had just returned to school after winter break this January when it started to rain. And rain and rain. It was coming down so hard that Superintendent Jose Gonzalez went out to see if the school buses would be able to get kids home. And he saw that water from a creek had breached a levee and started to flood the street. And that's when we mobilized our local efforts uh, to sandbag. So we sandbagged for about four, four and a half hours. They knew some water was going to get onto campus. Planada Elementary School was built in 1955 at one of the lowest lying areas in the community, below flood level. And it had flooded before, five years ago. So Jose and other staff were just trying to limit the amount of damage. We quickly tried to elevate uh, furniture in our library. We had just invested, you know, one and a half million dollars in rebuilding super cool theater furniture. Uh, we had our library clerk and, and other paraprofessionals lifting books up from the bottom two shelves because, again, uh, past the experience, we had anywhere from 16 inches to 20 inches of water in those low-lying spaces. So, uh, by 6:30 in that, that evening, uh, it became unsafe, and so we just had to. I had to get all all personnel off campus. Jose went home, but his phone kept ringing until midnight. Staff and other residents were calling to share that their own homes were flooding, that they were trying to evacuate. My wife was like. Why are they calling you? Well, they're calling me because I have the connections to the sheriff's department. I have the connection to the county supervisor, Supervisor Espinosa. I have connections to Cal OES and emergency team. And so they're feeling helpless. And so they're using me as that conduit. Planada is a small, unincorporated community of about 4,000 people in Merced County in the Central Valley. Being unincorporated means it has no city council, no police department. It relies on the county for services. The school district is the main local agency. It serves about 900 kids in kindergarten through eighth grade. The vast majority are Latino, and most are from low-income families. Many parents are farm workers. We are, we are the trusted source. We are the hub and the heartbeat of the community. Tuesday morning, Jose returned to school. The heartbreak was, was real. It was raw. In the low-lying areas, we had um, water probably knee-high, so about 18 to to 20 inches. 4,000 books were lost. Furniture was damaged. What was heartbreaking is just to see the force, because furniture was actually moved. You could see the streak marks, um, and it it was 
It was an empty feeling of, of despair. And the flood water was filthy. Porta potties from construction sites and from the soccer field had floated across town and across campus. Dead gophers and squirrels were floating in the water too. The stench was already you know, rich in the air. 29 spaces, including uh, our administration building, uh, health services, our, our, our uh, infirmary that we have, our nurse space, uh, teacher prep spaces, and it ended up being 25 actual classrooms. It was, as 90% of our campus was basically had category three flood water. And so uh, it was like, okay, what do we do now? This is Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools. I'm Zadie Stavely. This week, when schools face a flood. EdSource equity reporter Emma Gallegos and investigative reporter Thomas Peel teamed up to write about the flood risk to California schools. With help from our data team, they looked at the FEMA data and mapped out the flood risk for every school in California. Hi, Thomas and Emma. Hello. Hi, Zadie. So tell me, just in basic terms, like what you found. Roughly one in four schools in the state are at high or medium flood risk, according to FEMA data. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> and I know uh, you also spoke with Jeffrey Mount. He's a geomorphologist and senior fellow at the Public Policy Institute of California. And, and he was very clear that the risk is very real. Uh, he was. He basically said that the snow is like a loaded cannon in the mountains that's about to fire water around the valley. And has has that prophecy, you know, kind of played out in, in the last few months? Well, we've seen flooding from storms and flooding from some snowmelt. The prediction is it's really going to start coming down in an unmanageable way around the end of this month. Okay. One of the things that kind of stood out to me just looking at the map, it doesn't seem to be equal opportunity flood risk, right? Like certain places are more prone to flood risk. Right. And we and we know that, you know, from our state's topography. Low-lying areas are much more vulnerable to this. Areas that are in the floodplains of the state's major rivers in the Central Valley are much more at risk. Yet there are some anecdotes of schools that have flooded this year already that aren't high or medium risk. They're at low risk. There was a school in Alameda County that suffered a severe flood in January that was uh, at low flood risk, according to FEMA data. But we all know that weather and climate are changing. Some of the places that are at really high risk are, you know, you, you all found that Tulare County was one of the big places. And this is, you know, one of the counties with the highest poverty in California. Yes. Tulare County has the most schools in the state classified at high flood risk. And Emma has been to visit some of these places in, in Tulare County, right, Emma? Yeah, I went to some of them in Tulare County and then also Fresno County. I went to Fireball. Yeah. 
Can you share kind of how school districts are preparing? Yeah, so I was able to spend quite a bit of time in Fireball um, with the superintendent and a lot of the employees there to talk about how they are preparing. And the number one thing that they've been trying to do is just come up with um, an evacuation plan. So just trying to make sure that everyone stays safe, is alive and well um, in the event that the snow is melting at unmanageable levels and coming through town. And, you know, in Fireball, and this is true in a lot of these smaller towns throughout the valley, um, you know, the school district is uh, really kind of like the biggest, most organized organization in town. So, you know, there's not like a, a bus line that has, is go- always going through Fireball. It's a school bus. And so, you know, in the event of uh, an emergency, it's going to be up to the school to evacuate not just the children the and the employees, but also the community. And so they're coming up with a plan to try to make sure that Again, the school community is safe. That's their first priority. But then also that they can help evacuate the neighborhoods um, in in the Fireball area. So that's that's priority one. And then priority two um, is figuring out how to make sure that they protect the school and the facilities and the records and, you know, all those other things. Thomas, you went to visit some of the schools that have already dealt with floods. Um, what did you see? Clearly... Pajaro, when I was there, was a couple of weeks after the flood, was still dealing with a disaster. Pajaro Middle School um, was visited by the state superintendent, Tony Thurman. They were about two weeks post-flooding, and the insurance adjusters hadn't come in yet, so they couldn't do any cleanup. And they were dealing with the onset of mold. There was mud everywhere. The water was gone, but the classrooms were a wreck. It was um, it was rather harrowing to see that um, the school was built within the floodplain of the river that runs through the city, and the levee broke, and there was nothing they could do. And that's a scenario that is expected to play out again and again when we hit the peak of the snowmelt. You know, there's embedded in this idea of a lot of school facilities guidelines that schools need to be as safe as possible, not just for the kids inside in the event of an emergency, but also because they serve as emergency centers. So we saw this in, um, you know, just outside um, Tulare Lake. Um, it was Alpaw Unified. So the waters were rising all around the town. Most people in the town, I think, were okay, but they evacuated the town because there was the risk that people get stranded inside the town. And because the town was evacuated, school wasn't in session. School actually wasn't in session for, I think, about for a couple weeks. But every day, it was the school that was giving out um, food to the community and emergency information. And so, you know, in the event of a flood, schools are very important places. And so you don't just want the school to be safe so that the kids are safe, but also because, you know, places need a place to go in an emergency. And in a lot of places, like school buildings are really the only place. For Jose Gonzalez, one of the hardest parts of having the Planada Elementary School flooded was not being able to help out the community. Because we had so much damage on campus that we couldn't provide that humanitarian aid to our communities that we typically do, especially, you know, just coming out of COVID, we were on the front lines uh, uh, operating, you know, three times amount of meal distributions uh, just to kind of keep our families afloat. 
In addition to the school, about 80 to 100 homes in Planada were flooded and damaged, too. And a lot of families' cars and trucks were ruined. Jose knew that families needed to get back to work and they needed their kids in school. When he first saw the extent of the damage at the school, his mind immediately started racing. How am I going to provide an instructional space for our students? How am I going to accommodate kids? How are we going to do this? He started calling other districts, community organizations, thinking maybe he could send some kids to one school and others somewhere else. But then he got in touch with the school district in Paradise. A wildfire devastated that community a few years ago. So Jose wanted to learn from them. What did they do? One of their big lessons learned was a mistake that they made is they fragmented their learning community. So they sent, you know, pockets of students into four or five multiple districts. And so what that did, it exacerbated the trauma. It was it was more trauma because now they didn't have their their familiar friends. They didn't have their familiar colleagues, both students and support staff and teaching staff. So Jose decided he wanted to keep everyone together. The teachers and staff discussed what to do, and they came up with a plan. The middle school across town hadn't been flooded. So the elementary school students moved onto the middle school campus to share with the middle schoolers for a couple of months while their school was being rebuilt. In the meantime, they brought in counselors to help students work through their trauma, and they had teachers connect with every family to find out how they were doing. Thomas and Emma, how much of this is a, is a human-made problem? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, Sadie. So we're really kind of dealing with a lot of man-made problems. Um, canals and levees, levees that haven't been maintained. In Pajaro, the levee on the Monterey County side of the river was not as well maintained as it was on the... Santa Cruz County side of the river. Maintenance wasn't done, and that was the levy that broke and took out the school and all the businesses around the school. What's frightening about Firebaugh, where Emmer went, is that it's a low area. There's a major river running through it, the San Joaquin, and the levees that protect Firebaugh have very poor ratings from the lowest possible ratings from the state water management agency. So it's kind of like this, you know, worst case scenario there. It's a river that experts are saying is clearly going to flood from snowmelt. And they've got weak levees that they haven't fixed and maintained. Yeah. And, you know, something that I've noticed in a lot of these areas is they tend to be, um, unincorporated or really not have good representation. Like Planada is unincorporated. So is Pajaro. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah. And so sometimes you see you cross a county line and then all of a sudden, you know, you don't have anyone really doing a good job advocating. Firebaugh is a place that has a city council, but the city council has been advocating for something to be done about the levies and that hasn't worked yet. So currently they they were able to commission a study to see, you know, what they would need to protect the city. And they did this during during the drought years. So they were looking ahead. Um, but it would cost about $140 million to um, do some of the upgrades that would be necessary to protect the city. And, you know, this is a city that is very small, very poor, and they have a $4 million budget. So, you know, for a lot of these projects, there would need to be federal and state 
um, intervention to protect these cities. But I mean, sometimes the place that maybe doesn't have a lot of people or, um, you know, doesn't have a lot of like expensive buildings, um, the cost benefit, uh, you know, on paper, it doesn't look like it's worth it. But of course, there's quite a few people who live here and they're the ones who are um, growing the food for the country. <laughs> and what you have is there are hundreds of small local agencies that maintain levies on both, you know, agricultural canals, um, rivers, streams. And it's a free-for-all in terms of getting money to maintain those levies. You know, these are these are small public agencies that don't have great budgets. And we've gone through years of drought. And nobody seems to worry about levies when there's not a lot of water behind them. But levies are also vulnerable in droughts in that they dry out and become brittle. And that's maybe part of the problem that we see in the state in the weeks and months to come. What could be done to help fix this problem, like help districts prepare, but also minimize the flood risk for these communities? You mentioned before um, Dr. Mount at the Public Policy Institute of California, and he's you know extremely highly regarded in his knowledge of flooding. And, and he points out that we never know when there's going to be an earthquake. Maybe now with these new apps and things, people get 10 seconds or 15 seconds of warning. People have been saying since late last year that there was going to be a record-breaking or near-record-breaking snowpack in the mountains. Public agencies of all stripes have had months of notice that this is going to be a potentially very bad flood year for California. Sort of a, you know, slow motion disaster coming. There's a lot that public agencies can do if they have the resources. Some of it, as Dr. Mount told me, is just common sense. If a school's in a flood zone, get the computers out or get the computers up high. Hard drives are normally kept on the floor under a teacher's desk. Get them off the floor. Get them four or five feet in the air and they might make it through flooding. Put them on top of desks. Put them on top of file cabinets. As as Emma pointed out, move the paper records now. Those kinds of things. Is that going to be enough? No. But there's small ways to minimize the damage. I'll add that um, schools aren't getting guidance on any of this. You know, I, I spoke to um, Superintendent Roy Mendiola at Fireball Las Deltas Unified, and, you know, I asked him, well, what's the state doing? And the state hasn't really sent out targeted messaging or really any kind of messaging about how to prepare for storm waters. And Dr. Mendiola, he said that a lot of what he's been trying to do is just rewrite the emergency procedures for a flood. And this is a school that has always been in a flood zone. And they didn't really have a great emergency preparedness um, section for flooding. And so he's been, that's what he's been doing. So the state hasn't stepped in at all. And then another area where you really don't see the state stepping in at all is Fireball found out that they were not insured for a flood, which it's crazy to me. Four <laughs> percent um, of schools are in a high risk zone, and there's no requirement that they have any kind of flood insurance, which 
again, is <laughs> pretty wild. So um, now the district is faced with buying flood insurance probably when rates are really sky high. Because Planada Elementary did have flood insurance, the school was rebuilt and kids returned to classrooms by April. But Superintendent Jose Gonzalez still worries about the next flood. The families in his district do too. After the first flood, there were new flood warnings. But our attendance dropped 30 to 40 percent every time there was a warning. And, and I get it because parents were, were, were scared to death. We were scared to death. I can't imagine how we would have evacuated 900 kids if that flow would have come through uh, at, at noon, you know, on a school day compared to midnight. Um, it's pretty scary to think that. Yeah. Jose thinks the January flood could have been avoided. Because it wasn't just flow. I think there was some negligence in, in that, that levy because the breach happened in the exact same location where it had happened five years earlier. From what was shared with me, there's some debris removal permitting issues that, that you know, our local county resources share that they ran into with state permitting. And so our creeks are in serious need of repair, of dredging, clearing out, driving through the community. You're, you're literally seeing, you know, trees that have been growing in the middle of those creeks uh, for 10, 15 years. And so there was no flow. There was no flow and it just found its weakest point. Our county's initial fix and our emergency uh, groups, it's just sandbags that are shoring up the, the walls of, of the, that creek. If, if we don't invest a little more in, in that restoration, uh, we, could, we could be dealing with a similar phenomenon here. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Education Beat, Getting to the Heart of California Schools, a production of EdSource. You can find Thomas and Emma's stories at edsource.org, and you can also find a map to see what kind of flood risk your own school has. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Special thanks to our guests, Jose Gonzalez, Emma Gallegos, and Thomas Peel, and also thank you to Danny J. Willis and Sunny Xie, who contributed to the flood stories. Our CEO is Anne Vasquez. Our theme music is from Blue Dot Sessions. This episode was brought to you by the James B. McClatchy Foundation. I'm Zadie Stavely. Join us next week and subscribe so you won't miss an episode.